The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Um, I don't want to be outdone by Pastor Kevin Schuler, so my mom is visiting today, and mom, I will flat out say I love you. All right, I am really looking forward to opening up the Word of God with you today and getting to know some of the truth that Paul reveals to us about what it means to be spiritual parents. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Galatians 4, and we're going to be starting in verse 8 and read to verse 20. And uh, as you go there, I just want to highlight something for you. Um, This last week on Thursday, there was a, a March for Life Uh, This is a march just to uh, say that it's important for unborn babies to have a voice and for those that are vulnerable. Some stats for you to know, for the last 50 years, it's been uh, legal to have abortions in Canada, and current stats say that 300 babies a day are aborted. So what I want to say right now is not thinking so much about the issue as about the people that this reflects. 300 people every day Think about that for a year. Over 100,000 women, over 100,000 men, over 100,000 unborn babies, and so many family and friends are impacted by this. That's probably more than the population of our city. And there's a lot of people who are hurt, who are confused, who are in pain, and they need hope. And his name is Jesus. And he often uses us to be that beacon of hope as we trust in his Holy Spirit to guide us to come alongside people in truth and love. And church, that is what we need to do. That is our main aim in life, is to glorify God by making him known so that people might be free of their bondage and have life. Keep that in mind now as we read verses 8 to 20, and I'll ask you to stand with me as I read these verses to you. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that are not God's. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and and I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, because become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus." What then has become of your blessedness, of your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children... For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word and please be seated. So, 
Our focus today is on spiritual parenting. I just want to clarify two terms. Spiritual parenting, this is not only about you who have children in your home and raising them. This is for any one of us who has someone in our care that we feel responsible for. We've helped lead them to the Lord, and now it's our role to nurture followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. That's what spiritual parenting is. And for me today, the word passion would be an intense, almost uncontrollable emotion that drives you when you think of these people under your care. If you've wondered if you've ever had that, I know if any of you have ever received one of those emergency calls saying, the one you loved is in trouble. Your emotions go crazy. This is what Paul was experiencing for the Galatians. And he was really concerned about them. You know, going to seminary, you study a lot about Paul and what he wrote. Uh, Passionate is not the, the first word, except for passionate for maybe theology, passionate for doctrine, Right? He was a scholar. He was, he was good at defending the faith. But I think we really do an injustice to Paul when we don't see his pastoral heart, his shepherd heart. All you need to do is slowly read through the letters he wrote to Timothy and think of Timothy as a young man hearing words from his spiritual father. Read it slowly. Read it over and again and again. Realize he doesn't think he's ever going to see his son again, Timothy. You read that and tell me that this isn't a man with passion. You read this passage and you tell me this isn't a man with passion for his people. Not just passion for doctrine. A lot of Galatians is that. There's a lot of truth that just put out there and it kind of sits on you. But we need to remember this is a man who says it's not enough to just love truth. God has called us to love people. That's who he died for so that they might have life. And Paul reflects that. And we see that in the phrase, my little children. A very passionate phrase. This is the only time that Paul uses it. My little children, my dear little ones. He loves these people. And now I'll tell you, unless you're just led by the Holy Spirit for this next phrase, this is not something that most men should bother saying. He goes on to say, for who I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I don't know if I would get away with that kind of example. I know men, you kind of don't talk about childbirth. We don't know that. But Paul's saying, I have that type of anguish for you. And not only once, I have it again. My time with you, you did come to life in Christ. And now I'm concerned for you. And I'm willing to go through that same anguish again because you need to know your Savior. And I love you so much, I'd do it all over again. That's not the only emotion in this chapter. You can see lots of different ones as you go through the different verses. He has confusion in verse 9, fear in verse 11, thankfulness in verse 12, love in 14, concern in verse 15, despair, rejection, and anguish, as we just talked about. And then he says, and I am perplexed for you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I am at my wit's end. I don't know what to do, and I'm not with you. How many of you have ever felt that for someone you love? You know they're in a desperate situation, and you're far away. You can't be there. This was Paul. There was no Skype. There was no WhatsApp. There was no even phone. He just hears about them, and his heart is torn. 
and he's at his wit's end. This is a man who loves the people that God has given him to help nurture. And his focus is about them growing in Christ-likeness. He's not concerned just about what are you wearing, who are you dating. Those are things I'm sure that would come into the picture. But the big thing is, what's happening in your walk with God? When I left you, you were little babies. You should be teenagers by now. And I still need to talk with you as little children because false teachers are leading you astray and you're following them. He's so distraught for these people. The question I have for you right now is how much relational investment are you willing to make in those you desire to know Christ? It's not enough to say you have truth, you have a track, you know what to tell people, they need to hear about Christ. They need the love of Christ in you to the extent that you love your very own children by birth. That's the kind of love that God wants his church to display to a world. Who does God want you to love that way? And if you're not sure, start praying about that. Lord, who is it that you've asked me to love so deeply that I would experience the pains of childbirth if only they would know you? I've been reading in Matthew, and one of the beautiful pictures about Christ and his passion for his people is when he's looking over Jerusalem. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you stone the prophets sent to you. You kill the people I send to you. How I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And yet you reject you refuse. Jesus loves his church. He hates seeing people go astray. There's so many beautiful pictures about him taking people, put a shepherd, put a sheep on his shoulders and walk back to the fold. He brings us back. He loves his church. He loves you. And he loves so many people that don't yet know him and we have the privilege of being that voice and that presence to help people understand the goodness and greatness and love of God. So parents have passion that's almost hard to control. Parents are also able to discipline. The Bible tells us that the Lord disciplines his children. He disciplines the ones he loves. So this is a reflective question for you, is how are you experiencing the discipline of God? If you want an evidence that you're in a saving relationship with Christ, you know that you are regularly being disciplined by him in a way that leads you to life, not to sorrow. He does not punish, he does not beat up, he does not abuse, but he disciplines to free us so that we can have life in him. So how are you disciplined by God? Paul says in verse 19, he says, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Paul was talking to a people who before he came were superstitious, 
were worshiping pagan idols that he says actually are demonic influences. That's the world that they come from. They heard of Jesus Christ and they accepted him joyfully, letting go of everything in the past because that's junk, that's garbage. I don't want any of that. And now he's saying, you experienced freedom in Christ. How can you go back to those worthless, weak, elementary principles? And the shocking thing in this passage is that Paul isn't talking about the idols that are on the street corners or the superstitions that they were following. He's talking about the Jewish traditions that they were being introduced to. He's talking about circumcision. He's talking about celebrating special days, months, seasons, and years in a way that would make you think they earn your salvation. God gave these days. These are things that God gave his people so that they might know him, not that they might earn their salvation or try to keep their salvation. So these are good things used in a wrong way. And the teachers were saying, if you want to be a good Christian, you have to follow the Jewish practices. You should be circumcised. You need to follow these celebrations. And Paul is saying that doing that is just as evil as worshiping an idol or following superstitions. He's saying that the only thing that we need to be concerned about is Jesus Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing is everything in your walk with God. He will lead you to obedience. There will be things to obey. But for your walk with God, for that relational connection to be made, it is Jesus plus nothing. Don't fool ourselves that we don't fall into this too by the spiritual disciplines we do or by going to church or by celebrating certain holidays, we are easily deceived as Christians what we're putting our hope into in our walk with God. We need to remember, and you can tell this by the things you feel shame about, and you say, that shame drives me to do this. Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's why he wanted his people to be disciplined so that they could realize that very important truth again. He goes on to ask them another very significant question, verse 15. What has happened to all your joy? Isn't that a wonderful question? What has happened to all your joy? It could be, what has happened to all your peace? What has happened to all your goodness? What has happened to all your faithfulness? Why am I empty inside? What has happened to your abundance of Christ's love? Let's read in context that verse, starting at chapter, uh, verse 12. Brothers, I beg of you, put yourselves in my place. After all, I put myself in your place. It isn't that you've done me any wrong. Now, this is the context of how Paul first met the Galatians, these coming verses. You know that it was because I was ill that I proclaimed the good news to you at first. And even though my physical condition must have tempted you to treat me with scorn, you did not display any sign of disdain or disgust. No, you welcomed me as if I had been an angel of God, as if I had been the Messiah himself. So what has become of your joy? That's the context of this verse. I want you to note one thing. Paul has done a number of miracles. He's healed people. He's even raised them from the dead. And here he's sick. 
We don't know what it was. It could have been malaria. It could have been epilepsy. It could have been some sort of eye condition. But it was something that made him unappealing to the people around him. And he said to them, and first of all, this is, this is key to know, he didn't see that illness as a blockage, but as an opportunity. Because it says, it was because of my illness that I stayed with you. It's that illness that allowed me to share the message of Jesus Christ so that you might be freed. God always is using us to make his glory known. So even when you find something that you're discouraged by, don't for a minute think that God's not concerned about you or that he's not concerned about the people that you're coming in contact with. Can you remember that? God is concerned about you, but you're saved. You have a walk with him. You have life with him. But the people you rub shoulders might not be. So if God takes you to the hospital because you're sick, there's many different reasons, but one of it could very much be that people that you're going to encounter need to meet the Holy Spirit through you. They need to know Jesus Christ through you. And he says, you would have gouged out your eyes for me. What's happened to your joy? What's happened to your joy? And then a verse later he says, am I therefore your enemy because I tell you the truth? When you serve as a spiritual parent, this is a sober warning to remember that those you love may have a really deep love for you for a good amount of time, but there could also come a time when the Lord tells you, speak truth and love to this person, and the love that they had for you now is even more hatred and disdain because they don't want to hear the truth. We always have to be sure that our motives are pure, that I'm speaking it in love, but we, we always have to do what God tells us. And there will be a time, I can guarantee you this, that at some time there will be people who just don't want to hear what God has to say to them. And though they once loved you, they now hate you. What was it that Paul said to them? He said this to them. You've put people around yourself who are tickling your ears. They're flattering you. They're telling you things that you want to hear, and you're obeying them. You're starting to follow these uh, rituals that help you feel like you're saved, and they're not doing that. And these men, these leaders, you think they love you, but they don't. That's what's causing anger. You think they love you, but they don't. That's not easy to say to people. It's definitely not easy to hear. But the Bible, again and again, points out this reality that we need to be able to speak truth and love. And those two things have to go intimately together. And that's the heart of discipline. Truth and love. Not one at the expense of the other. I'll tell you that speaking truth and love is hard Receiving truth and love is harder. At least for me it is. I'm a naturally defensive person. I'm a supernaturally receptive person. And that's a journey of transformation that Christ is doing in my life. Back in 2008, I wrote out some questions that I thought, how could I help become more receptive to hearing truth and love? There's not that many people who are willing to have the courage to go and just speak to you that way. So I thought it was time to invite people to do that for me. It wasn't an easy task. 
made up a list of questions. I gave it to nine different people from different parts of my life, and I said, I want you to prayerfully think through these questions, and in a week or two, we'll get together, and I'd like you to share with me. I know that I might not respond well at first, but you need to know I want to respond well. I know you love me, and I know that this will be for my benefit, so please take it seriously. These are the questions I had people consider. What aspects of my life draw you close to me? What do I do well? No reason to start with the hard stuff first. (laughs) Is there anything that causes you to want to distance yourself from me? How could I be a better friend, or how would you describe our friendship? Would you like to see it changed in some way? What do you see as areas that I need to improve in? What What areas of my life... What are areas of my life that you think are blind spots for me? This was my favorite but the hardest question. What are one or two things people would like to tell me but are afraid to? And then back to some easier stuff. What spiritual gifts, characteristics are evident in my life? How could I become a better leader? What type of things could you see God using me for in the future? In order to speak truth to others, we need to be able to receive it from them first, too. I want to encourage you to invite people into your life that you say, I want you to speak truth because I can't mature without you. If you want a list of these questions, email me, but I'm sure you can come up with a list of your own. But that was hugely helpful for me. It wasn't easy, but it was hugely helpful. And 11 years later, I can see how some of the things they told me, God has used to help shape me. And I thank God for those people in my life. So we get on to another spiritual parenting issue, and that's the hope of example. Again, if you want to be able to speak truth and love, you should be able to receive truth and love. But Paul says right off the bat in verse 9, he says, read the words right to you, it says, "But uh, but now you do know God, and more than that, you are known by God. I highlight this because of those two phrases put together. But now you do know God, and more than that, you are known by God. What he's doing in that simple phrase is saying it's so natural for us to think about what we do. I know God now. And, and say that I did that. I know God. But he reminds them, no, the deeper truth is that God knows you. The only reason you came to know him is because, because God knows you and loves you. What we need to remember, and as we nurture others, is that in everything good. God is the initiator. We are the responders. And you might say, no, I can think of examples where that's not the case. I challenge you to think deeply about it. You might say, yeah, well, you know, sometimes I feel prompted. I read the, I read the Bible, or, and, and then I feel closer to God. I do that. God meets me. But you wouldn't even think of reading the Bible if it wasn't God prompting you to do that. You wouldn't have any good thoughts in your mind if it wasn't for God's grace because he's the source of all goodness. So one of the simple things of discipline is just helping people's perspective to be properly attuned to God's perspective and remembering that he's the initiator of everything good. And if I'm seeing life from my own perspective and not through God's eyes, I'm seeing things distortedly. And I want to see it through God's eyes so I can see clearly. And then he says, brothers, I entreat you to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. 
This phrase, become as I am, is familiar to Paul. He has said in other places, in other books, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's usually the comparison. Imitate me, I imitate Christ. Here, what's unusual, he says, imitate me. Why? Because I have become as you are. Well, how does that fit in? I think this is the way, at least I understand the passage. He's saying, you're free. When I came to you, you were in bondage to those elemental spirits. When you heard about Jesus Christ, you accepted him. You broke free of all those chains and you lived in the freedom of God with no other baggage. And for me as a Christian Jew, when I came and I saw that happen, I was free in Christ, but I still had some baggage with me about what I need to do. Those things are just ingrained in me. I've lived in that Jewish tradition all my life. And when I saw you living free, I realized I had more freedom to experience. So I became like you. And I let go of some of those days and some of those things that I thought I had to do. And now I only do them when they help me actually get into the presence of God. I have no sense of worth in them except for having them help me be in God's presence. So I was free. But now you're getting into the bondage that I was getting out of. You're starting to follow these Jewish practices as though there's some spiritual benefit to you. Be as I am. Be as you were when you first knew about Christ. Be free. Don't fall into legalism. Again, this isn't the same thing as saying there's not, there's not ways of holy living. There aren't ways that God says this is how you should live. I'm not saying that. It's saying that these things don't earn you salvation. But when you're saved, there's a natural way of living that God tells us pleases him and that he empowers us to live. So be free. Verse 19 again. We started off with this verse. We're going to more or less end with it. My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Why? Until Christ is formed in you. Any anguish we have for those we parent in a spiritual sense, we nurture, should be so that we know that Christ is being nurtured in them. And they don't stop until we see Christ formed in you. That's, that's a lifelong process. The joy in front of me is I've become more like Christ, but there's so much further yet to go. So until that happens, I will stick with you. I will disciple you. I will love you. I will be in anguish like a mother in labor again. I won't forsake you, just like Christ doesn't forsake you. I read a little phrase saying, it's easier to be a parent, to become a parent, than to be one. (laughs) This is the same thing as far as introducing people to Christ. It's easier to do that than to parent them, to nurture them all the way through their life until they're in glory with Christ. Uh, Kevin Clausen did me a favor the other day. He went outside and took a picture of our property. Uh, here's a picture of the, the pond in front of our church. And right now, there's really no grass. The trees more or less look dormant. In two, three weeks, this is going to be quite a different picture. Grass will be, seeds will be coming to life. Trees will be green. People might be walking along that path. There's going to be some benches you can sit, you can pray there. You know what would be the best thing, in my opinion, for this picture to have in a few weeks from now? It would be people in that lake, in that pond, being baptized by you. 
You want a vision of what God can do in this church? He can bring new life to the people around you. He can take them from bondage and make them free. And he can use you to do it. That's the best gift he's given you. Jesus Christ to share. And if in your mind you wonder, oh, I don't know if God will do that. I'm not an evangelist. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. But what all those gifts are, what God has given you is sufficient to share him with the people around you in a way that he's created you to do. So ask God, who am I supposed to love as you love me? And how can we do that better as a church family? Because it's not just you and your neighbors. It's us and your friends. It's us and your family. It's us and the community. How do we love them? Our relationship with others can only be as healthy as our relationship with Christ. I just put it out there that one of the things that can come off as legalistic is you just feel shame because you don't share Christ, so I'll, I'll go do that. That's my duty. When we are walking closely with the Lord, there will be times where you try to keep your mouth shut because you know you could be in trouble if you talk about Christ, but you won't be able to keep your mouth shut. You will be burning inside because there's such good news to share and you know they need to hear. Pray that God stirs up your heart to that extent where you know his love so deeply you can't help but talk about him. There's no shame in that at all. It's just joy. And fear is cast out in those moments. I'm just going to close by just sharing a few questions with you right now. Who has been a spiritual parent for you? Take time this week to thank them for speaking into your life with truth and love. Take time to love your moms today, undoubtedly. But take time this week to think of the people that God has used to nurture you and thank them. How do you generally respond to truth? I'd ask you to think about how you can grow in that with God's help. Who do you trust to lovingly speak truth to you and who could you invite to do so? Who are the relationships where you say, I need to, I desire to mature in my walk and this person could help me and I could help them. And finally, who would you identify, who would identify you as their spiritual parent or significant influence? And how are you preparing yourself to live out this role of speaking truth and love into their life? What a great God we have. What a great opportunity we have to be Christ's presence to one another by the grace of his Holy Spirit so that we might mature and then we can help others come to know him. Will you stand with me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us as a God who loves us deeply and passionately and you desire to gather us together as a hen does her chicks and Father, we do not want to be a people who refuse. We want to be a people who say, yes, thank you. So Lord, bring us together. Use us, Lord, as one in your spirit to reach a world that needs to know you to be free and to have life abundantly. In the precious name of Christ, amen.